The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. There's a lighthouse on the hillside that overlooks life's sea. When I'm tossed, it sends out a light that I might see. And the light that shines in darkness now will safely lead us all. I want to take your Bibles, if you would, Mark chapter 9, verse 36, 37. I want to talk to you about uh, the special nature of children. The special nature of children. Um, do you believe the Bible? Do you believe, do you believe when Jesus says something? I find it interesting. I believe the Bible. I believe it from the first word of Genesis to the last word of the book of Revelation. I believe it. I believe God himself made it happen. And if he made it happen, he can preserve it. It wouldn't make any sense that he could make it happen and let it get corrupted, uh, let, it, let, it get, let it get ruined. But God himself not only has uh, given the word of God, he's sustained it and preserved it. Because if he can't sustain and preserve it, he couldn't give it. I mean, I mean logic, are you with me on the logic? These words up here, I put Jesus' words. I want to do that for your for the, some of the people that aren't well uh, tuned into the Bible, that they they believe they somehow hold a ooh these are Jesus' words and they somehow hold them more important than words given to Paul or Peter or the rest of them. But I, we don't. People that believe believe the Bible believe every word is inspired by God because the Bible says of itself all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And whether he used uh, Paul or Peter or uh, Mary or whoever. To, uh, to give it, he, he, he did who he did. It, was, it could have used anybody. And I like Balaam, where his, uh, the Bible says Balaam's ass spoke. And uh, I figure Balaam's donkey spoke. Uh, he can use anything, amen? Balaam was whipping on that donkey. Well, I'll tell you what, he was whipping him. And uh, God had him speak. I, some of my animals, I'm waiting for that to happen. But... Uh, in Mark chapter 9, verse 36, let's read a few verses. I'm going to go, you will not be able to turn to them. I'm going to go to Mark chapter 9. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 25. And I'm also going to go to Mark chapter 10. So, I'll, but you may, the main verse I want you to be at and stay at, if you would, Mark chapter 9, verse 36, 37. He took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto him, Whosoever shall receive one such, chil ch uh, such children in my name, receiveth me. I want you to underline, score, circle, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. And then we go to Matthew chapter 25, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. There's a parable there, but in, in verse uh, 40 of chapter 25, and the king, the king, uh, and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, insomuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And then we go to Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. I'll read all those. And, and they brought a young child to him, that is Jesus, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. And when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, 
Forbid them not. For such, of such, is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, you ought to underline those words, as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. And then in Mark, going back to Mark chapter 9, verse 42, Whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. Now, I want to make comment on those verses. That's the foundation for some of the teaching that Jesus had on children. I believe I'll make some sense of it as we read it. How does a person like Jim McCullum, some of you do or may not know. Most of you probably do not know Jim McCollum. But Jim McCollum was a good friend of mine. He was one of the founding men of this church. Two men specifically founded the church together, Ernie Stewart and Jim McCollum, in about 1980. Uh, they decided that they felt like God was leading them to start a church in the north part of Bonita. There was nothing in the north part of Bonita. Just over here was a bowling alley. Otherwise, four miles that way, there were no human beings. And six miles this way, there were about no human beings. I mean, there was no houses hardly all the way up to San Carlos Park. There was almost no houses down to Beach Road. So you had to go almost all the way to Beach Road to Old Bonita before you found any people. And you had to go almost all the way up to San Carlos Park, almost, before you really found any concentrations of people. So it was a little strange that God would lead these two guys to come to a place where there were no people. You know, normally you don't start a church with no people. You know, tall steeple, no people. I mean, we were like, we were like, and I was, I got in part of that. I came in about the third Sunday they met together and the fifth Sunday they met together and preached for them. I began to catch their vision that they wanted to do this. And I, I, I liked those two guys. I picked up right away on those two guys that these are two real people. These people are genuine and, and real with Jesus and want to do the right thing. And, and I, believe, I believe God was leading them, got part of it, became part of the church officially a few months later. And they started up here. But Jim McCullum was an inspiration to me, always an inspiration to me. Now, Jim McCullum, when I first met him, he was probably 48 years old. And he was uh, he was an entrepreneur. He was a philanthropist. Everything Jim touched turned to gold. He'd buy a piece of property. They'd put I-75 right by it so he'd own a corner on some big, you know. I mean, that's the way the guy was. He'd buy something. It turned to gold. He had the idea of starting a, a warehouses, storage units. He built a big building and put garage doors on them, and we all laughed him to scorn. Why would you ever do that? No, why would anybody rent one of these things and put stuff in it? He says, well, I think people can use some extra space. So he built all those garages. It was a bunch of garages. It was just a line of garages. And he rented, and of course, they were full from the beginning, and, and just on and on it went. And then he... He had a gas station on Beach Road and uh, he, he uh, in the 60s here in Bonita. And there wasn't much here, but he had a gas station on Beach Road. And eventually, he made so much money, he retired in, at 42 years old. He didn't need any more income, didn't need any more finances, money, I guess. He retired at 42 years old. Now, most people aren't content with the money they made. No matter how much it is, at 42, they want to keep working and making money. But you know what? He said, I don't want to keep making money. I want to go out for souls. Now, this is the truth. 
He said, I want to give my time full time to the church and the bus ministry. And, and for all the years, from 42 years old, and even before that, when he was in Bethlehem, all the way up till he died in his 70s, the man pursued souls for Jesus. He wanted to do it. How does, how, he starts in the bus ministry as a teenager, keeps it up all the way through his 70s. He, and, and many of you don't know this, but Jim McCullum was sickly. He had headaches almost every day. He couldn't stand air conditioning. Air conditioning gave him a headache. He lived where? Air conditioning give you a headache? Here? That'd be like heat giving you a headache up in Michigan. I mean, you got to have heat in Michigan or you will die. If you don't have air down here, you will die. No, you won't. But you want to die. And, and, and I mean, the man would turn the air off and go visiting. Was, was, I didn't like visiting because you go over his house, it was hot. I said, turn the air on. He said, it gives me a headache. I said, live with a headache. Turn the air on. But he had headaches constantly. He had uh, lung problems. He painted buses without any masks. The old school, you know, no ocean, no mass. One, one doctor said he looked in his lungs and he saw yellow stuff. I thought, that was that yellow bus paint. He died from CP, whatever it is. He died from a lung problem. But what drives a man to visit almost every Saturday? Take his Saturdays and go visiting up and down the streets in Benita here looking for kids. What keeps him going through the heat and the cold? And we do have cold. You people that are new here understand it gets cold in Florida. In January, it'll get down to 28 degrees for three, four hours. What keeps a man going through discouragements? Kids coming, kids not coming. You know, the bus ministry by its very nature waxes and wanes. It comes and it goes. You have a high time, low time. You're number one for a while, and then you're not number one anymore. Up on the board, you got 50 kids coming. All of a sudden, you have a little depression, recession. 65,000 people move out of Lee County in 07, 08, and all of a sudden, whoop, the kids just evaporate. What gives you the emotional energy to go, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether you have kids, don't have kids? Uh, I believe the secret is found in the passages we just read where Jesus gives a special and shows us the special nature of children that, as far as he's concerned. If anyone knows how to motivate you and me, it's Jesus. He's set before us an open door here at the gospel. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, he says, I know thy works. Behold, I've set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. The only person that can take us out of the bus ministry is when God shuts the door. In 1 Corinthians 16, 9, it says, for, Paul says, for a great door, an effectual door is opened unto me. And there are many adversaries. You're not going to do something good for God without some resistance. Brother, just get used to it. we got a farmer sitting up in the front here, educated farmer. Most good farmers are educated. And, and this boy knows about farming organically and stuff. And brother, any, nobody's ever tried to farm doesn't know that there's a lot of bugs out there. There's fungus. There's bugs. There's too much water. There's not enough water. There's too much sun. There's not enough sun. There's all kinds of stuff going on. There's these little mites that get in the soil and want to suck all the good out of the plant. 
and everything. You're fighting every wall. It's just like a struggle. You got to rip that plant off. That's a, it's amazing we get anything out of the soil. Brother, if you want to bring forth something for God in this life, something that makes a difference, something at the end of your life, uh, it will be eternal. It's going to, there's going to be resistance. There's going to be adversaries. There's going to be naysayers. There's going to be folks that say, why are you doing that on your, why don't you go out on a beach like us? Why don't you look like we do nice and tan? Well, I just want to tell you, ladies, those girls that are just beautiful and, and fabulous looking and tan right now, look at them when they're 60. And it looks like a topographical map. <laughs> Laying in the sun every day, brother, your skin will get, something happens to it. And boy, when you go, when you go, we get about 50, 60, all of a sudden the wrinkles start appearing from that sun. Made some friends on that one. Once a person recognizes as a Christian what's going on around them, once they get the vision of the invisible as the eternal and the valuable, nothing can stop them. Moses got it. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, it says, By faith Moses, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured. And that's what I want it to be said about me, and that's what I want it said about you, that you endured. That means you had adversity. That means you had resistance, but you endured as seeing him who was invisible. You have to be able to see the eternal and invisible value of what you're doing for Jesus, or you will not last all the way to the end. You'll let discouragement overcome. You'll let resistance overcome. And you'll let naysayers finally get to you. But brother, if you get the vision like Moses had of the invisible and the eternal and the real value, you will, they will have to shoot us to stop us. More we need it. Let me show you three things about the passages we read this morning. In Mark chapter 9, verse 37, he said, Whosoever received one of uh, such children in my name receiveth me. Jesus was showing us the special position of children. The special position of children. I have to read that and look at that again. If you receive one such children in my name, you receive me. Do you, do, do you believe that? Do you believe that? You mean to tell me you bus captains that went out there and picked those boys and girls up and gave up your breakfast time with your, with your family and gave up your, your leisure time laying around in bed and gave up your, your nice little drive to church and, and you, you did what was necessary to go out there and pick them kids up. Do you mean that Jesus is saying that when you pick those kids up, you pick me up? Is that what he says? Is that what it says? Do you believe it? Isn't that what it says? I'm not making this stuff up. Matthew 25, 40, it says, And so much as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me? Do you believe it? Man, I look at this like we can do something directly for Jesus. I look at this like you can do something that will please God. And if you please God, you don't have to worry about anything else in life. Uh, well, how can a person 
expect God to work for them when they could care less about little children and getting them to Jesus or when they get to Jesus teaching them like some of you people do or or in some fact or way and there's a lot of different ways to get to the kids not everybody can be out on a bus not everybody can go calling not everybody can be teachers in Sunday school class but we can all put our hands together by encouraging one another by financing the thing by making it happen and by having a spirit for it we can all say let's go pick up Jesus this morning And when that when you when you pick up Jesus, or when you've done it unto them, you've done it unto me, that's gonna make God pleased. And I know one thing, when God's happy, everything else could be okay with you. Those of us that are out after the children at the gospel are strongly motivated by this. Jim McCullum. He's glad he did. I got to preach, at least speak at Jim McCombs' funeral. I had to drive. Don't get the idea I'm going up for your funeral because I'm not. If you live way north, you've got to die here. But Jimmy, I had to go for that. I had to go. I didn't go to Jim, I didn't go to, to, to Ernest Stewart's funeral. I was up in Michigan. I said no. But uh, Jim Jimmy McCollum, I went up there, and what a, what a what a thrill it was to be there. What a thrill it was to talk about his life. What a thrill it was. Now you say, you've got, to be, you've got to be morbid, preacher. A funeral's a thrill? It can be. If you live like Jimmy McCullum lived, your funeral's going to be a hootenanny. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of tears being shed at Jim McCullum's funeral. I'll be honest with you. We weren't going around going, oh, Jimmy. No, we were like, woo, doggies, Jimmy got to go to his reward. He got to, he got to finally go to see Jesus, who he loved. His wife cried. I mean, you miss his presence. You miss, you know, his happy spirit. You miss the way he sang redeemed. There's certain things you miss about the old boy. But you bus folks picked up Jesus this morning. You teachers, you Sunday school teachers taught Jesus this morning. That's why you prepare. That's why you turn the TV off and study your lessons. God forbid we got a Sunday school teacher at Gospel that reads out of the book. Now you can look at your notes like the preacher. But I don't just don't have a good enough mind to just forsake the nose. Plus, that keeps me from rabbit trailing, keeping you here for a couple hours. God bless every one of you in the nursery who took care of Jesus this morning. Did you did you hear that? I don't want to do nursery. Think of what you're saying. I don't want to do nursery. Think of what you're saying. If Jesus came here and said, could you help me today? You're going to say, no, you know, that bothers me to get puke on me. Well, those kids are sickly. My immune system's shot. Where are you going when you die? Now, if you're not saved, I say stay out of the nursery. You're saved, man. Go to the nursery. It'll help you out. It'll help you get there. 
No, but the truth is, folks, this is, this is the foundation of everything we do. It's getting the vision. It's getting the vision. And, and may I say this to you, that your vision will wax and wane. Your vision will be clear and you'll be fervent and you'll be all over it. And then if, as time goes on, your vision wants to get weak. It's just who we are. It wants to get, you kind of want to get, why am I doing this? What is the deal about this? What is going on? Listen, all of us are fighting that kind of battle. How have I pastored at 36 years? How have I, actually 39 years in total, how have I been able to withstand the criticism? How have I been able, you know, everybody knows how to preach better than I do. You get some dude who never been to school, never been the first preacher, first sermon, come up and criticize you and say, you ought to do this, you ought to do that. I mean, everybody believes they ought to criticize the preacher. How do you, how do you withstand that? Because I'm doing this for Jesus. And after what he did for me, I can take it. Hey, man, I'll take my whipping. The second thing, Jesus shows us a special position of children, then he shows us um, the special value of children. Jesus understood the value of children. He says, suffer little children to come to me, Mark 10, 14. Forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Realize I say unto you, servants shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall not enter therein. Imagine getting to fulfill the desire of Jesus himself. He says, suffer the little children to come unto me. That means to send them to me, to permit them to come to me. Or if I may say it in our lingo, go pick them up on the bus. That's a BIV, Bill's International Version. Go pick them up on the bus. Go pick them up in your car. Go pick them up. Get your neighbor kids to come. My wife and I had a young couple move in beside us when I lived on... Uh, 18566 Rosewood Road in San, Rosewood Road in San Carlos Park. I moved there in 1980, built a house there. A young man and his wife moved in beside us, John and, and, and Doreen Asher. And old John Doreen moved in there, and they had a little five-year-old, four-year-old, uh, blonde-haired, tow-headed young man. I went over there, knocked on their door, and say, "Hey, uh, is it possible we could take your young son to church on Sundays?" They didn't want to go. They wanted any part of it. And, and, you know, I mean, I said, could we do that? We'll do, we drive right by your house. We drive. Now, we weren't, at that time, I wasn't doing a bus ministry. I was just driving. So he said, well, sure. So I said, could you get three free hours together? Hey, I, I use any mean possible. And so he looks at me, and he looks at me, and he said, yeah, yeah, you can have the kid. So they give us their kid, and for two years solid, I bring a little Aaron Asher to Sunday school at Gospel Baptist. We, we're going by anyway. Troy remembers. Troy was the same age as Aaron. Or they're close. And we bring him. Eventually, Daddy gets saved. Mama was saved. She backslid. She got right with God. Daddy got saved. Became the head of Awana here for six years. I mean, still out there winning souls. Still soul winning out there. Boy, it motivates you. You know? I do it because... Children have a special position. I keep going because children have a special value. I love this. Our churches all over America in the 60s started running buses. We had a little revival. 60s and 70s, churches just got the idea that maybe we ought to be out there in the neighborhoods getting those kids and bus ministries 
started up every a guy by the name of Wally Beebe wrote a book. And old Wally Beebe and helped 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 churches start buses. Well, you know what? Cost 50 cents per kid per mile. Who cares? Who cares? And boy, go out and get the kids by the grace of God and bring them in. Let them hear about Jesus. The best news I ever heard is Jesus. What about you? Best news I ever heard, he died for me and shed his blood. Now I'm going to heaven by faith in him. Faith only in Christ only by grace only. Amen? It's our great commission. It's our prime directive. And then lastly, i got to finish with this because it would be wrong if I didn't. The third motivator for children is a special warning Jesus gives. Mark chapter 9, verse 42. He says, Whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. Now i got to ask a real simple question here. A millstone, by the way, weighs no less than 300 pounds, probably 300 or 600 pounds, the ones that I saw. 300 or 600 pounds, it's a big stone with a hole in it. They put a rope around the stone, you know, you're in the ocean on a boat. They put, they put about 10, 15 feet of rope on it, and they put that around your neck. And if somebody takes the stone, two, three guys, they push that stone over the edge of the boat, it goes down, it's three, 400 feet deep. And pretty soon it grabs you, boom, down you go. Now, Jesus said it's better that that happened to you than you abuse one of these little children and believe in me. Let me ask you a question. How can something be better than dying? Because when you throw that millstone over there to that boat and that, that rope tightens up and takes your neck down, you drown, you die. Jesus said there's something worse than dying. There's something worse than physically dying. What? It, clearly. It indicates, by Jesus' words, there's something worse than dying. It is being punished for all eternity for the consequences of your sin in a place called hell. You say, is hell taught in the Bible? Yes, it is. Is hell a real place? Yes, it is. I wish it wasn't. There's part of me that says, I wish there wasn't a place called hell. I wish there wasn't an eternal lake of fire. But Jesus said there is. He talked more about it than he even did heaven. In Jesus' words and in the Bible's words, you can't skinny it out. You can't take the guts out of it. It is what it is. There is a place that every person that rejects Christ has to go, must go. It's a place called the lake of fire. It's a place of eternal punishment. It's a place of eternal consciousness. It's a place of eternal loneliness. It's a place of eternal darkness. It's a place of eternal agony. It's a place of eternally rolling over in your mind. I wish I'd have got saved. I wish I'd have got saved. I wish I'd have got saved without hope, without end. It's a place nobody has to go. Because Jesus Christ came, took a form of a man, became a servant, was obedient to, the, to what God was whipped all the way to the Calvary, finally hung an old tree, satisfied the justice of God, and paid for your sin and mine by his precious blood that he shed on that old cross. Resurrected the third day to say that Muhammad's not the one, Buddha's not the one, Confucius's not the one. Jesus is the one. He's the Messiah. Oh, there's all kinds of people say, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ. But Jesus is the only one that was resurrected. Witnessed by over 500 people at one time. If you'll trust him by simple childlike faith, you'll humble yourself. You'll become transparent with God. 
You'll agree with God that you're a sinner unable to save yourself. And you'll believe with that faith that a child can believe that Jesus is the Savior and you're saved. And you'll be willing to turn from your sin. That's an attitude. You basically, the word repentant means to change direction. You're just willing to go Jesus' way now. Turn from your way to God's way. Call repentance. And then place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. God will come and birth you, seal you under the day of redemption, and you someday will stand before him and not answer for your sin, but he will answer for your sin. And you can be saved and go to a place called heaven and avoid a place called hell. You don't have to die for your sin today. Don't do it. Don't. Nobody in the sound of my voice here ought to go to hell. There's no reason for it. Jesus has made the way. It's easy. In fact, you can be a little child. In fact, if you don't become in some degree like a little child, you can't be saved. I love working with children. I love seeing when they, when they, when they honestly and clearly express their faith in Christ. I was five years old when I was saved. How many here were saved under 10 years old? Raise your hand. Look how many. I'll tell you what, Jesus' warning scares me here in Mark chapter 9, verse 42. God have mercy on the people who stop ministries that are geared to reaching children. God have mercy on folks who miss the opportunity to do something precious to the heart of Jesus and go out there and get to children. Jim McCollum years ago got a hold on that whole thing. It, and th let me tell you when, you, when you get a vision for reaching boys and girls and men and women for Christ, it is healing in your life like no medicine could ever heal you. It is prospering in your soul like nothing else could prosper you. It is completing in your purpose like nothing else can complete you. It is fulfilling in your life like nothing else, not fishing, hunting, golfing could ever touch. It is gratifying like nothing the world offers can gratify you. It gives you purpose. It gives you reason for living. There's nothing you can do that will better your marriage or better your family or better your children or better your work or better your wealth or better your health than caring for the souls of children. You say, Brother Bill, that's pretty fantastic. It is. It is. You know what the trouble is? We're going every way but God's way. We're trying to cure all those things with Prozac and medicines and all kinds of drugs. The problem is we're looking inward so much, we're some of the most miserable generation that's ever covered the face of the earth. They're, they're posting themselves and, 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 and tattooing themselves and marking themselves and and. and and making themselves look ugly because they hate themselves. Because the more you pay attention to yourself, the worse it looks. You know what's true. Get your mind off of yourself. And put it on Jesus. Put it on what he wants you to do. Put it on getting boys and girls and men and women saved. Put it on doing a ministry. Say, God, give me a minute. Now, it's not going to be easy. A lot of, advert, lot, of adversary, lot of adversaries out there. A lot of, lot of, lot of resistance. Now, I'm not saying you can't take a little vacation. I'm not, I know. It's just you know, when I preach. Those who don't need it, get it. And those who do need it, don't. Those who are working for God, they get more guilty and work harder. 
Those aren't doing a lick for God. They think it's for the other guy. Some of you need a time off. Some of you need some respite. Jesus took time and went away and rested himself and got ready to go. I'm not saying never take a vacation. I'm not saying never take a time apart. But even if you're on vacation, pass out gospel tracts and look for opportunity. Brother, there's no time off for God when it comes to being a Christian. I've had people tell me you can't get out of the bus ministry once you get in it. It's true. Once you see what goes on in the bus ministry, there's nothing else like it. Nothing else like it. And it puts something in your heart. I was a 17 year old. I quit with this illustration. I was a 17 year old, typical 17 year old, hard hearted, selfish. A 17-year-old is the most selfish time of the entire universe. The whole, everything in a 17-year-old comes to me. They go by a mirror and they go. 17 years old. I got a, a new guy from First Baptist Church, Hammond, Indiana. Joined our church over there at Grace Bible Church in Elkhart because he didn't have a job in Chicago. Moved over to Elkhart to get a job. And he came to Grace Bible Church. Came into Grace Bible Church immediately. said, I'd like to do a bus ministry. They bought him a bus. He started doing bus ministry, bringing kids in. Remember, I'm 17. I don't care about children. I don't care if they live, they die. I don't care about them. I don't like them. I don't want to be around them. It looks like they've just got a bunch of snot and dirt and trouble. I just don't want any part of them. And I just can't even, I can't imagine why people have children. And so, and that's not half as bad as I was. And this old boy kept coming and says, I want you to help me call. And the bus minister said, no, 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 no. That's my lake time. That's the time my mom and dad had a lake lot up at Long Lake in Michigan. We had a boat right in the water. That's the time I go water skiing. That's the time we go playing. We don't, on Saturday's play day. Saturday's no, don't go. He said, no, no, you'll be, you'll be, I need some help. He just didn't give up on me. That old boy was, I remember him, skinny old drop. I mean, he was about six, three, four, skinny old bone. He came up, his suit never fit him. You know, on skinny people, suit just hangs on them. I know most of you never know that. But, you know, he, I remember he coming up to me and saying, you know, you ought to come call him. And I go, oh, no, man, I want to go water skiing. That's, you're messing my week up. If I go, it's going to mess my whole week up. Well, this guy, harass, I mean, it was harassment. Today they call it bullying. I mean, this boy wouldn't let me go, wouldn't let me have peace at church. And so finally I, I decided, I, I thought to myself, well, I'm going to get him. I'm going to go one time, and then I'm never going again. Because you say, just come once with me. Just come once with me. That's like when you substituted. Just come, just help us drive one time. And I remember I went with the boy, and, and we went. The first place he took me was just way out in the middle of Elkhart, and there was a little shanty of a house. I, I visualized it was a little shanty of a house, and, and the yard, there was no grass, and it was all, all the grass was beaten down by this passel of children these two people had had. And every one of them had snot running down their nose, and, and dirt collected to the snot. And it was black right here. And, and the kids, the way they cleaned it was just, they'd take their tongue and just go, they never wiped anything on anything. Just salty, not bad. And they would do that. And those kids, and they were dirty, filthy. And I remember getting out of the truck with a guy, and he walked up there, and those kids went, ah, from and started running towards him. And 
all of them grabbed him and hugged him and, and, and loved on the guy. And, and, and they looked at me, you know. I am Mr. Clean by nature, man. I just don't like that. And I thought, boy. We called that day and I went home. The Holy Spirit. He said, They need you. They need you. 17 year old kid. They need you. I just got right with God. I said, They need me. They need me. I argued and fought it, but God said, they need you. You're the guy. This, boy, this young boy got a job transfer out of town. The bus ministry is going to collapse. I said, I'll do it. I was first married. Got a little child, little baby in arms. My wife and I got to the church at 5.30 in the morning because you had to plug it in. They were too cheap to plug the thing in all night. I'm mad now. And they plug it in at 5.30 in the morning. I had a little Volkswagen bug. I'd put her in. Now, the Volkswagen bug, you scrape the ice out from the inside. It never gets warm. And my wife, I put my little woman with the baby in arms. We didn't have car seats, thank God. He just held the kid. You can make another one. And so we'd go and... I'd scrape the ice in the windows. We'd go, and it'd be like 17 below, 18 below, 15 below, 10 below. Get in that old, it was a Hemi, Chrysler Hemi. I got where I hated them. I bought one now, but I hated them then. Plug the thing in, it warm. We have to sit there in that car. Finally, I'd go up there, and I'd try to start that thing. You know, and then I said, got to wait a little longer. Finally, I'd go in there, boom, and kick off. Now, you understand a bus never gets one. bus never gets one. We get in that bus with little Troy and Kathy and I, and we get in the old bus, and we go out and pick them kids up on some of the worst area of Elkhart. I get 25 kids, 25 parents entrusted me with their most precious thing, their children. And I'm 19 years old, 18, 19 years old. That's insane. They say, yeah, take them. We brought those kids. And from that point on, I have never really gotten out of the bus ministry. How about you? Now, you don't have to be in the bus ministry, but you need to be with reaching children for Christ somehow or another. Prime directive of God is going to the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But I just showed you today that Jesus has a special word for children. There's a special position they have. There's a special value they have. And there is a special warning about hurting them. And I don't know how, any, how you could hurt them any more than not go out there and find them and tell them about Jesus. That's about as bad as you can do to them. Find them. Bring them in. Let's tell them about Christ. Father, help us today to get the vision. No amount of preaching will give somebody the vision. The Holy Spirit and them must meet together. 
and thank you for coming to that old selfish young man that I was and, and rebuking me and calling me. Thank you for not leaving me. Thank you for not letting me live a selfish life. It's all about me. Thank you for not letting me waste it. Thank you for putting around me people like Jim McCollum, Ernie Stewart. Thank you for putting around, putting around me people that cared about Jesus. Father, we pray today that we'd go on for God. We'd live for Jesus. We'd end well. We'd do the right thing all the way. In every individual way that could be expressed in this room of every born-again believer here, Father, call them to what you would have them to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. If you would like to know more about Jesus and the subject preached on, please contact us at gospel at mygbcs.com or call us at 239-947-1285. God bless.